Black Friday 2013. The biggest shopping day of the calendar year. Americans from all over the country, coming off a recession and finally with some spending money in their pockets, are flocking to retail stores like Target for holiday deals and Christmas shopping. Parents, children, grandparents, teenagers buying toys, clothes, supplies, electronics, home decor and games. Meanwhile, lurking in the background, a danger that no one could foresee, but everyone would soon feel. At each of Target's nearly 2,000 store locations, customers push their shopping carts down the store aisles, pick out what they want, then approach a cashier's desk, swipe their credit cards, and head home. Everyone walks out a bit happier than when they'd walk in. What these hundreds of thousands of individuals didn't know as they drove home from the store that day? They'd just sign away their credit card data to black market criminals. If movies have taught me anything, it's that if you want to rob a bank, you dress as the cleaning crew. Okay, movies probably aren't the best way to learn about crime. Really, if you want to rob a bank in 2018, the best way to do it is probably to go in as a hacker. But have you ever seen any of those movies I'm talking about? Usually, there's about a small team of quirky middling criminals trying to pull off the mother of all hastes. You've got a sniper planted on the roof of a building across the street from the bank. The resident hacker sits in a van nearby, relaying information to the team. A couple of other guys are armed and ready to blow everything up should the plan go sideways. And then one guy dresses up as a janitor. Why? Because undercover, he walks right in through the front door. Earlier in the movie, they'd probably figure out which cleaning company works in the building, found an employee of that company, and robbed him of his uniform and badge. Now our guy is walking past front desk security without raising any alarms. Maybe he goes up to the top floor executive's office and inserts a malicious USB into the CEO's computer while they're in the bathroom. Maybe he's packed explosives to plant on some big metal vault door. All the while, anytime somebody comes walking in, he has to start sweeping and whistling again. However it goes, the janitor guy is the most important part of the mission. He's the one who will give the signal for the plan to commence. Why am I telling you this? Because when Target was hacked in 2013, it was complicated. It involved a well-crafted, specially written malware, a small business in Pittsburgh, an unknown backdoor to a large corporate database, a black market financial fraud store and its leader, lawsuits, firing, etc. You'll hear all about that in the coming half hour. To understand exactly how Target got hacked, though, all you need to do is picture those bank haste movies. The big bank, the cleaning company, the janitor closed the plant. And just like in the movies, it totally worked. Fazio Mechanical is a Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania-based HVAC company. HVAC as in heating, ventilation and air conditioning. It's a medium-sized Midwestern enterprise, family-run, 30 years old now. Its executives sort of look like Sopranos characters. 
there's no obvious reason why Fazio would be in the middle of a major corporate cybersecurity incident, just like you wouldn't expect your uncle's garage door company to be at the center of a nationwide news scandal. You could imagine that of everyone who saw this story unfold and thought to themselves, Fazio who? Mr. Fazio himself would have been the most surprised of all when the FBI came knocking on his door. How could refrigeration have anything to do with computer hacking? He might have said to himself in his exquisitely cooled office. Here are today's interview guests. Graham Cluley, a longtime cybersecurity journalist, blogger and podcaster. And Amit Serper, a well-known hacker and cybersecurity researcher at CyberReason. So it's not at all uncommon for a hacker to target a smaller company, maybe through a simple phishing attack even, and they manage to get a password to log in at that smaller company. They can then maybe access email records and servers. They may then be able to steal further passwords. They may be able to, st- to plant keyloggers, which allow them to then get, gain access to other systems, and they begin to go up the chain. Now... Fazio Systems had several customers. Target weren't their only customers. Most of their customers, according to what I saw online, were uh, retail companies. Like Trader Joe's were, were there as well and other, um, other retailers. Um, now, obviously, they don't want to um, travel to their customer's site often because their customer's, site, their customer's sites are all over the U.S. And sometimes they want to... Um, connect to their equipment um, remotely and modify some settings or just monitor it, see um, how cool or how, or, or how warm the place is. Um, so they will have access to their um, equipment, to the HVAC equipment that is connected to Target's network. So if, um, if, you, want to, um, if you want to attack Target's network, and you as an attacker assume that Target themselves are going to be relatively secure, but you you know uh, because you have information um, about uh, Target using an HVAC, an HVAC provider um, such as um, uh, Fazio Systems, and you can assume that usually those vendors or those shops basically are not as secure. Eventually, they found themselves on the Target network and able to access Target's point-of-sale machines to install their RAM-scraping malware, which obviously was capable of stealing credit card information. So it's not an unusual type of attack that we see this, this attempt to steal network login credentials from subcontractors. So my recommendation to companies is you really want to ensure that your suppliers, your subcontractors are taking security as seriously as you are. From a hacker's perspective, using an HVAC contract to breach a major corporation is sort of ingenious. It's common practice for a large retail company to hire an HVAC contractor to monitor temperatures in their facilities rather than make that the job of individual workers in every store location. In doing so, of course, the retail company must allow remote access for monitoring temperatures and installing patches and updates to their software. In this case, our hacker, like just about everyone, had no prior knowledge of the existence of Fazio Mechanical, let alone that they'd be of any significance. 
Instead, two months before what we know to be the target hack actually occurred, the hacker pulled what's called a shotgun attack, sending out a mass phishing email, and only after receiving data back, deciphering who would make for a good entryway into target's systems. The chosen prey, ultimately, was an employee at Fuzzy Mechanical. The malware sent in an email to this Fazio employee is called Citadel, a known variant on the Zeus banking Trojan. The program's primary function is to steal password information via keystroke logging and form grabbing on Windows OSs. Zeus had already been well known to the cybersecurity world, having made trouble for companies as far and wide as Amazon, NASA and ABC. By 2013, any reputable enterprise cybersecurity software would have been able to detect the program as soon as it began to run. And here is why Fazio was picked on as opposed to any other target contractor. Your parents' laptops have a better cyber defense than the entire Fazio company did. I guess on some level, I understand. This was a small business selling refrigerators in Pittsburgh. Hardly the sorts of people you'd imagine would be of any interest to hackers. The company's IT team was made up of zero people. It didn't exist. The software they used for cybersecurity? The free version of Malwarebytes Antivirus. To be certain, Malwarebytes is a solid and popular antivirus program for individual computers. The free version, however, provides no real-time scanning function, meaning an intrusion into a system won't be detected until an administrator runs a test to look. It should also be noted that Malwarebytes licensing agreement expressly states it is not made for commercial use. What this all added up to was the sort of thing you've heard many times before on our show. An employee fatefully clicked a phishing link in a malicious email. From there, it was about waiting. Waiting until the employee entered his logging credentials for Target's online work order portal. By logging those keystrokes, the Target hacker gained the janitor's uniform. Around this point came Target's first mistake. Let's say you're an enterprising hacker looking to breach a major corporation. What might you have to do? Even if you already have a partnering company's private credentials, mapping the internal network of a major corporation won't be easy and it'll take a lot of time and resource. The Target hacker had to do very little of that. Actually, Target did their work for them. A quick Google search in 2013 could have revealed Target's supplier's portal, their facilities management and supplier downloads page, within which are thorough details about resources available to contracting companies and how to interact with Target's systems. In other words, how to look like you're a real janitor when you walk in the building. With Fazio Mechanical's logging credentials in hand, the attackers were able to make their entryway into Target's systems. How, exactly, is to this day not publicly known. Different experts have different views, but the prevailing theory is that the attacker somehow used Target's Ariba portal as their vehicle. Ariba is a system Target uses to coordinate work orders and payments with contracting companies. 
Perhaps you're familiar with this kind of thing if you've ever gotten paid online by a company you worked for. It's really boring stuff. However, looked on from a malicious point of view, a portal connecting two computer systems is like a bridge over water. By exploiting Ariba, the hacker found their way into Target's internal file servers. It appears Target's computer infrastructure failed to isolate its most sensitive assets from the rest of the network, and the attacker was able to move laterally until they reached their jackpot, card readers. Now, the, the problem was that in IT security, when you build your network, when you have a, a big business, you always want to segment the network in a way that different departments or, or different pieces of equipment only have access to what they need to have access to. For example, there is no reason in the world that the HVAC system that was put in target by a third-party vendor operator, whatever you want to call it, there is no reason that that equipment should be able to communicate with the payment terminals that are at the cash register area. There is absolutely no reason for that to happen. Once the attackers had access to the target network via the stolen credentials from Fazio Systems, they basically had access to the payment devices. They had access to the payment devices because the network wasn't segmented properly. Short of stealing money from a bank vault, hacking a point-of-sale device is one of the most direct ways to steal lots of money quickly. It's sort of like hiding in an ATM and waiting for people to insert their money into your hands. Security analysts working for Target likely knew of this type of threat, leading at least one to call for a thorough review of the company's payment terminal protections months before the events of 2013. It's unclear whether that review occurred or not. Based on the story you've been hearing now, I'd bet that person's warnings went unheeded. Between November 15th, Thanksgiving, And November 28th, Black Friday, in 2013, the target hacker successfully uploaded their malware to a small number of point-of-sale devices in Target's stores. This, in effect, was a trial run, to see if the malware would work as it was designed to, and to see how system administrators would respond. First, the malware. Did it work? Yes, like a charm. Once they had access to those devices, using various methods, they basically created uh, memory dumps of the memory from those payment systems. And those payment systems, that, that memory actually holds all of the credit card information, credit card numbers, and all of the identifiable information that allows a credit card transaction to go through. Once the attackers have uh, code running on those terminals, they can basically scrape the memory. From the application that handles the transaction, thus acquiring all the important information that they want to exfiltrate. The software used to hack Target was a target-specific variant of Black.POS. Black.POS was relatively new in 2013, but commonly available on cybersecurity forums. Running at $1,800 a pop for a budget version and $2,300 for the full version. full in that it allows for criminals to encrypt their stolen data, a real middle finger to whomever you end up hacking. It's a program built for point-of-sale machines with card readers running over Windows operating systems. 
Most often, vulnerable POS computers are identified for their weak administration credentials or unpatched software. Once uploaded to a POS machine, Black Dot POS works like a charm, reading the information from a credit card strip as quickly as it's swiped. Criminals are then able to clone credit cards with as much effort as it takes a college freshman to print a fake ID. That's exactly what happened at Target stores around America in November 2013. Once the Target hacker uploaded the malware to every store's POS readers, he or she became awash in massive amounts of perfectly stolen data from totally unsuspecting civilians. The plan was executed to a T, and the liquid capital at stake was far more than one person could ever handle themselves. So who was this Target hacker, who now had 40 million credit cards at their fingertips. December 23, 2013, 10.08 a.m. Hi, you better contact me from another jabber that's not associated with your name. I've got an offer for you. Why from a different jabber? Because I've got an offer for you. So you don't think I'm trying to play games and fool around with logs after you read my offer. What kind of offer? $10,000 not to post your article. Andrei Hudirevsky is a handsome, lanky kid with short brown hair. He lives in Kronomorsk, Ukraine, a port city slightly grayer and more industrial than your average beach town the kind of place where a kid might get bored and fall into the wrong crowd. On his personal website, Andre states his life goals. To move to Helsinki, Finland, marry his girlfriend, and buy a red $20,000 Toyota Solara. Also, to achieve world domination. If you were to pass him on the street, Andre might come across as a college student, maybe an intern at some sort of finance firm he surely doesn't look like the leader of a black market cybercrime outlet. The week after first breaking news of the target hack, cybersecurity journalist Brian Krebs took the name of the dark web website where the credit cards were posted, rescutter.la, and traced backwards to see what other information might be out there about someone by the name Rescutter. After some digging, a trail of online criminal activity dating back to 2011 began to take shape, and a historic Who Is lookup led to Andre. A social profile of Andre's in a Russian gaming forum showed a Skype handle and an email address, which eventually led Krebs to earning himself an online chat with the man himself. The person on the other end of the line claimed not to be Andre, but the $10,000 bribe they offered Krebs to not publish those clues gave pretty good indication that this really was either the target of the target hack, pun intended, or at least someone very close to it. Andrei's claim to fame is as a leader of the Russian-English underground crime ring Lampedusa, where he personally operates a series of stolen credit card marketplaces. Among his spoils have been leaked cards from the 2014 hacks of Sally Beauty and Home Depot. 
Sure enough, shortly after Black Friday in 2013, one of Andre's outlets began advertising a new batch of a million cards up for sale. Carding, which is what this part of this shady business is called, Carding has huge communities, both in the clearnet and the darknet. There are uh, very large-scale forums where all sorts of shady actors exchange or sell credit card information. We need to understand this data contains names, full credit card uh, numbers. Sometimes it contains um, physical addresses as well. All sorts of information that makes it easier not only to steal money, but to actually assume someone else's identity. Carding networks have all sorts of operations that they run in order to um, get their information moving from one place to the other, be it, as I said, large-scale dark web forums, or they have like actual money mules that will generate a fake card based on the information that was leaked from such a breach. They will actually manufacture a card. They will go to an ATM in some country. They will try to empty the account, get as much money as they can, um, take the cash, go to a Western Union agency and transfer the money to another account. They will do it several times in order to um, make it uh, harder for the authorities to, to track the money. These are very large scale operations. These people are very good at what they do. And stolen credit card data exchanges hands all the time. The target batch was nicknamed Tortuga, or Turtle in Spanish. Perhaps a dig on Target's extended failure to respond to their data breach, or just a fun name. In the month following the Target hack, Tortuga would be updated regularly with millions of new cards. Andre really did operate Tortuga like a business, creating a personalized logo for the batch and advertising a 100% money-back guarantee for any purchases that were found to have been cancelled by the card issuer. The site also featured a versatile search function, where shoppers could filter cards based on the issuing bank, card type, expiration date, and even the zip code of the target store location where it was used. It really was like a mini Amazon.com, except instead of choosing clothes based on your size, here you might choose a stolen card based on the state you live in in order to avoid automatic fraud detection from Visa or MasterCard. On the dark web, Andre goes by the name Rescator. Rescator comes from the name of a character in Angelique, a series of French novels. In the series, Rescator is a pirate who commits morally defensible crimes and never reveals their identity. To this day, the exact identity of the Target hacker has not been definitively confirmed. Back to Target. How did they respond to their hack? In short, not well. The problem was this. We know that the timeline of the attack began on Thanksgiving and kicked into gear on Black Friday. However, the public didn't become aware of any of it until December 19th, more than a month after the first system breach. What happened in that month? In a congressional testimony on February 4th, 2014, Target's chief financial officer, John Mulligan, Mulligan, like when you screw up real bad in golf, clarified how Target screwed up their cybersecurity. The company didn't learn that there was anything amiss until December 12th, 
a whole two weeks after the incident, he claimed, when the U.S. government paid them a visit to give the news. Perhaps Mulligan was unaware of the real story that would come from Bloomberg Businessweek one month later. It turns out Target had installed FireEye, a business-oriented cybersecurity software, six months prior to November 2013. As soon as the hacker first uploaded their code to Target's POS systems on November 15th, FireEye lit up with an unfamiliar detection, named malware.binary, and sent automatic notification to Target's systems administrators. FireEye's warnings are graded according to the severity of malware detected, and this program was given the highest rating. Target representatives either didn't see the warning signs or just didn't act on them. The weak link is always the human being. The, the joke is pebcac. The problem exists between keyboard and chair. It's the fleshy human, always, who is the weak link in computer security. Computer security is not a technical problem. The software generally does a pretty good job. Postmortem reports speculated the company's IT department may not have been properly staffed, despite being 300 people deep, or simply may not have fully trusted their new security software. Either way, as FireEye's notification kept coming as the attack progressed, this time with the hacker's server addresses and escape routes where the stolen data was to be sent, each one in turn kept getting ignored. And if that wasn't enough, Target had another team located in Bangalore, India, whose job it was to monitor their computer systems 24-7. That team notified Target's Minnesota headquarters on November 30 that a breach had occurred. It seems no further action was taken. Symantec, another cybersecurity software installed on Target's systems, also detected the activity at this same time. Symantec has a built-in feature that deletes malware upon detection. Target had that feature turned off. This wasn't just being asleep at the wheel. This was standing in a panic room, alarm bells ringing, red lights flaring, and continuing on with business as usual. It was December 12th, a full two weeks after Black Friday, when Target was approached by the FBI in regards to a potential hack of their internal data. The following day, executives from the company met with members of the U.S. Department of Justice. The day after that, Target hired a third-party forensics team to investigate. Hiring a team to investigate a hack that revealed itself many times over already was some kind of ironic. It's sort of like ordering a special third-party investigation into why you touched the stove while it was hot, even after your mom specifically told you not to. Target ended up publicly admitting to the breach a week after the FBI visit and publicly apologized. Before you give them too much credit, it should be noted that Brian Krebs had already broken the story one day before. Target's executives continued to roll out limited and occasionally false information throughout the aftermath of the story. Like, for instance, that credit card PIN numbers weren't leaked. They were in encrypted form. 
the company's COO, CIO, the president, CEO and chairman would all resign by spring of the following year. At the top level of companies, if they see the CEOs of companies who've been hacked appearing on the TV news, trying desperately to apologize or explain what happened and being flustered and all the rest of it, they think, crumbs, I don't want that to be me. And that's the point where they really begin to take action. And we are now, of course, beginning to see regulations and legislation where we will have significant fines when customers, for instance, from Europe are affected by data breaches. And there's a potential uh, to fine you know a vast amounts of money we'll have to see if it happens to corporations who've been lax with our data and again that is something which i think will motivate c-level executives to take security seriously there really is no excuse anymore it's in the headlines it's in the newspapers it's on the tv news every week we are hearing about major high street organizations who are getting hacked if it hasn't happened to you already chances are you will be targeted in the future so you need to take precautions now to properly defend yourself otherwise you might be that next headline estimates of the total cost of the breach came in at about 200 million dollars it's hard to say how many customers credit cards actually ended up being used for financial fraud part of the problem was that many of the 40 million customers with compromised car data were also among the 70 million customers whose personal home and phone information was leaked. That meant even if you changed your card's PIN number, a criminal with your information had just as much authority as you to change it back. Seeing no alternative, some banks, such as Citibank, began reissuing cards to all clients who could have possibly been affected. One thing which I think is worth remembering is that when a hacker grabs your details, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to exploit it in the next three months. It may be, depending on what data is actually taken, it may be that that data is actually has a, continues to have a value for them for six months, a year, three years. So it may be some time down the road before you actually discover that your details have been compromised or that uh, someone has been phishing you or spamming you or taking out credit in your name um, and so forth. Target itself took a financial hit. In the quarter after news of the breach broke, as retailers around the country saw big numbers in holiday sales, they experienced a nearly 4% drop in income as compared to the same period the year prior. As part of their recovery effort, Target committed $100 million to upgrade its cyber defenses, including enhanced monitoring and security of internal data, limited vendor access to the company's own network, and implementation of chip and pin mechanisms for point-of-sale devices in all stores. They also laid off 475 workers in their Minneapolis headquarters and paid $18.5 million in legal damages. This was one of the first big breaches. Um, I think it was Target and then Home Depot and then a few other ones. It raised the awareness of the security of the uh, MagStripe data, of the, the credit card data. It raised the awareness on, around properly segmenting your network and securing it and installing more than just a firewall in your uh, network. I think the damage done to Target was quite significant. And I think as well, it changed people's 
view as to what hacks were, what the impact it could have. I think many people understood the idea and the concept of you buy something online, you give your credit card details to a company uh, via its website, and then they lose that database. People kind of understood that. With Target, it was something rather different. These were purchases being made in real life at the till, at the checkout. You hand over your credit card or you zip it through the machine, you make your purchase and you're off. And I think many people, rather like with the TJ Maxx hack as well, were surprised that actually it could affect you if you are buying things in real life. And the truth was that actually probably had a much more significant impact than any sort of online database breach for online payments being made. As concession for the loss of tens of millions of credit cards and personal data files, Target offered customers a one-day deal for 10% off on all its store's products. Hooray, said almost no one. Thanks for listening. That's all for the Target Hack, but stick around for our next episode for more malicious goodness. If you liked this episode, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. I'm Ran Levy. This has been Malicious Life. Visit malicious.life to subscribe to our podcast, read full transcripts, and download other episodes. If you have your own stories to share from the Target Hack, from people you know, maybe even yourself, Find me on Twitter at at RanLevy, R-A-N-L-E-V-I. Malicious Life is produced by PI Media. Thanks again to CyberReason for underwriting the podcast. Learn more at CyberReason.com. Bye-bye. Oh